In business, you rarely hear the expression for life. You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and, and there's, a, there's a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken 180 weight loss. Allow me to explain. You know, a year ago, I started with Awaken 180 weight loss and had incredible success losing weight. But you can lose all the weight in the world and not keep it off. And what good is it? That's why I have support for life from Awaken 180. Yeah. I mean, I go back for check-ins and make sure everything's going smoothly. But if I ever had a problem, the counselors are there to get me back on track. Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800. Or go to awaken180weightloss.com. Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of Between the Lines. On this podcast, you will hear about and from lesser-known Canadian authors and writers who, for whatever reason, have remained under the radar of traditional publishers and publishing houses. You will also hear from editors, literary agents, and publishers in the hopes of giving us all a better understanding of how it all works together. If it has something to do with writing or the writing process, you are going to hear a discussion about it here. I'm your host, Randy Lacey. I'm encouraging you to grab your bevy of choice, get comfy, and get ready to go between the lines. People come into writing in several different ways. For some, it was a teacher at school handing out a writing assignment, while for others, it may have been by reading and wondering if they might be able to write. Every writer has started their writing journey on a different path. Each writer's journey will be different, yet similar. But one thing all writers have in common is a different destination. Hello and welcome to another episode of Between the Lines. On this episode, I will be speaking with Lisa Bornellis from somewhere in the heart of North Vancouver, British Columbia. Hello, Lisa, and welcome to Between the Lines. Hi, Randy. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Well, it's about time. We've been trying this for how long now? <laughs> Several months during that Several COVID, months. right? And well, you know, things happen, life goes on, but here we are and we're going to do this finally. Absolutely. So now before we do anything else, I think it's important for the audience to get to know my guests and in this case, you. So rather than me read a little bit about you, Let's hear you talk a little bit about you, because this is what they want to hear. Okay, perfect. My, my day job, my real job, is um, I'm a change management consultant for one of Canada's largest health authorities. So I help, call it like a fancy project manager. I help people transition through, whether it's a practice change or an organizational change, when they have to work differently. Uh, I hopefully do that compassionately. It was quite a challenge during the pandemic. I'm also a mom. A recent TEDx speaker, and as per your interview, you'll find out a new author. Well, fantastic. A TEDx speaker. Oh, really? That had to be an experience and a half. It sure was, yeah. It was exhilarating. Could you be overprepared for it, or, or were you just right? Or There was um, a lot of preparation and memorization, and at my age, that was a, a bit of a challenge. It took about three weeks for me to memorize my presentation because there's no cue cards. You, you have a timer in front of you, and you just watch the seconds tick down. 
And if you go over 18 minutes, they will cut you off. So that was um, very interesting. And they also black out the audience and have a spotlight on you. So it's quite hard to engage. Uh, all you can do is just move around the red spot and listen to the laughter or the response. Certainly um, a, an interesting experience, but a very exhilarating one. And where was this recorded then? In a studio? It was, it was actually done live, but also recorded in um, the Anvil Center in New Westminster. Okay. Yeah. So smaller audience because of the pandemic, but it was a live audience just before the Omicron strain wrecked everyone's Christmas again. Well, that's that's quite an experience to be able to uh, chalk up under your belt or whatever it is that we do with experiences like that. So that is cool. And where can we find that? Yeah, you can find it on uh, TED.com if you type in my name or three questions to change your life. Or you can find it on YouTube again. If you look up um, my name, it'll pop up. A lot of things will pop up when we type your name on YouTube. <laughs> None of them naughty, I promise. Oh, no, no, I can, I can vouch for that. Um, well, thank you for that uh, little bio. So we'll move into a question period here. And as you know, I sent you a bunch of questions to choose and, and whatnot. And because you... I guess you write in a couple of different genres, children being one of them and something else being another. We split, I split this up into well, just that, you know, two different categories. So we'll start with the broader sense of writing first. So question one is where, ah, no, let's change that. What do you fear most as a writer? Yeah, that's a great one. Principally, is the idea that I wouldn't connect with my reader or that I wouldn't have a positive difference in every interaction. That would be one of my, my top fears as, a, as an author or a writer. The other is writer's block. And because of a, a really bad case of burnout, I worked in healthcare, obviously, during the pandemic. I was completely exhausted and didn't realize the impact it was having on me. And um, I found there was a period of time this winter where I just didn't even have the the mojo or the spirit to write anything, which is quite unusual for me. And that was troubling. I bet. I bet. Yeah. And how did you overcome that? Ironically, I adopted another rescue dog, a little pug, and um, <laughs> <laughs> all the energy and care into training and potty training and supporting a new, integrating a new puppy into the family for some reason evoked some inspiration and I began to start vlogging again so something that made me even more tired in some in one sense inspired me in another (laughs) well it certainly took your mind off your writing giving it opportunity to clear a little bit maybe but you better be careful because you know if you get writer's block more often you're going to inherit a zoo pretty much I have uh for your listeners I have a free roaming rabbit as well a, a dwarf lop-eared bunny and another rescue dog from Mexico so it's ridiculous. <laughs> I need to it sounds like an adventure is what it sounds like. <laughs> Going back to what you fear most as a writer, then I would have to ask you, what is your goal as a writer then? Because you said part of your answer, and I'll let you go back to that, but what is your goal as a writer then? Yeah, that is a great question. It goes back to that ability not only to tell a story or impart a lesson, which I know is, is something we'll talk about a bit later, but it's it's about um, making that connection with your reader so that they walk away feeling like um, they've experienced something that you've experienced and that you've wanted to connect with them. 
uh, and when I do get into talking about my my children's book, that that is very much the raison d'être. I wanted to make a positive difference for children who have mental health disorders to understand that they can be represented well, they can be heroes of their own stories, that there's things that they can do that can make them feel less powerless in these trying circumstances. So my aim is ultimately to pass on valuable information that people can apply, draw from, hopefully inspire. Again, I want to make a positive difference in every interaction. Well, fantastic. So air quotes here, you you, you use children, but I think that translates into just about anybody who, well, with mental health issues, that could translate into anybody because we're all striving to improve, right? And the the more positive influences that we can get to guide us along that path, the better. Would you agree with that? To a certain degree? A little. I talk, I did, it's, it's interesting you raised that. I, I touch on this on my TEDx where in a, in this world of the self-improvement rubric, it is kind of designed to make us feel like we're not good enough. And I want to say to you today and your listeners that you you are good enough as you are. But what I offer are ideas to consider around what are some small shifts or patterns you can change in your personal life through the tools that I bring in and change management, et cetera. This is on the professional blog side that can allow you to move through complexity or situations where you're feeling stuck. And as writers, I think we can all relate to moments where we have writer's block or we're feeling stuck around career choices or relationships or decisions or character sketches. And I try to introduce some of the methodologies in in change management as a a way to, to move you through that period of being stuck or overwhelmed through those small shifts. So that's what I write about on the grown-up side. And that's what I spoke about in my TEDx. And I weaved in my child's story and his mental health battle. And so your question was around whether... Oh, which question? I, I think back. I asked a whole bunch. Though. Yeah, you asked a whole Tran- bunch. Translates from that child aspect of yeah. mental health to the adult. To the adult, yeah. So I just wanted to impart to your listeners that you're wonderful as you are in this present moment. And if you choose to, and if you feel you want to make that improvement, um, do that for yourself, not because society tells you you need to, or that you're not good enough. I think that's what I offer at some level in some of my writing, that here's a few things you can try that might help you to shift a pattern or a mindset that can move you forward should you so want to. Okay. I'll use myself in this example because I'm the best example that I know. But having lost most of my vision, I mean, life could have been over for me right there. But I, I know me and I know that I wouldn't have been content in that modem operandi. Did mm-hmm. I use that right? I, I would not have been content or happy with just being me as a visually impaired and give up on life. So yeah. obviously I've... I've I've jumped into a world of uncertainty. I didn't know anything about podcasting. I didn't know anything about blending spices or creating hot sauces, which now I all do. Now I all do. That didn't sound. Anyway, but I do all of these things. And it was a challenge for myself in this condition of being visually impaired. And I'm constantly trying to challenge myself, Matt. And I think if people can challenge themselves, they'll be surprised at what they can accomplish. I'm with you totally on that, um, Randy. I 
I don't have a degree in create, creative writing, but I had a dream of writing uh, a book. Mm-hmm. And at the height of the pandemic, when everyone was Netflixing or baking sourdough bread or crafting, none of which I'm very good at, I put my kid to sleep and I, I had a vision for starting a blog. I started a, like you, I made one podcast <laughs> and uh, I wanted to to produce this book and it all started flooding through. I, I can't explain. There was just so much inspiration and content creation and, and things happening, even though I was physically depleted and exhausted after working long shifts in healthcare, something was just passionately moving through me. And I think that saved me from the mental health aspects of the pandemic. I'm a natural extrovert and the lockdowns for me were horrific. I bet. So you, you're an extrovert, natural extrovert, you say, right? Yeah. Now I'm, and you won't, you'd never know it. And people don't believe me when I say this, but I'm actually a very shy person, but I realized at a very young age that if I wanted to get out there in the world, that I would have to put myself out there regardless of the cost. And that's why I am the way I am today. But people find it hard to believe that deep down inside, I am a very shy person. Enough of that. Let's get back to the interview. How did you come to choose the genres uh, you write in, or do you feel they chose you? All I can do is write about what I know for myself. And so the the professional writing or the blogging started happening um, initially through work. And then I took it on the, the personal level. I had a thought experiment. If according to the research, you apply a structure change management approach to a project, you're six times more likely to succeed. What would that be like in your personal life? And from that, makeoneshift.com was born or at makeoneshift on Instagram And I invite people to join in that conversation and I I share some of the tools and how they can be applied personally rather than in an organizational or um, professional setting. The writing of the children's story was uh, Louie and the Dictator was inspired by my son's experience with a mental health disorder called obsessive compulsive disorder during the pandemic. And like many of your listeners who perhaps have a child with additional needs, or have um, some mental health needs themselves, they will have found that suddenly all those supports were cut off at such a crucial time when they were most needed. And so um, perhaps as a way of therapy, and perhaps as a way of helping support my son through this process, began to write this uh, fictional story based on his experiences. And what was his response to these? Or did he? He's been so supportive. He's been really proud. He's, he sits beside mummy with a, his little Chromebook open and is typing away as well on the bed. And um, it's really inspired him. He started to write poetry. He's only 10. <laughs> so he started writing his own novels. He loves Tolkien. His dream is to go to Oxford and write books like Tolkien. <laughs> well, there you go. That's a good yeah. ambition. That's yeah. a great yeah. ambition. Now, for those of you who... Uh, are not seeing this because this is an audio podcast and know that I am visually impaired. I still have enough vision to see the smile of pride on Lisa's face when she talks about this. So well done. Uh, How much of yourself would you say goes into something you've written? Perhaps everything. And I think many of your listeners, again, who are writers will possibly relate to that. I found myself pouring my soul into both the the blog and the book, because that's all I know uh, is to be authentic in that, especially as I'm trying to relay a message of of hope and opportunity. So it's quite an exhausting process emotionally. And you can probably relate, Randy, to putting yourself out there makes you very vulnerable. 
but I found a lot of support from other authors um, and people such as yourselves on the, along the way. So thank you for this opportunity to speak. It's the pleasure is all mine. You, you now you've mentioned something twice now that put a, a giggle in my in my voice because you you only write about what you know. And recently in my uh, Canadian Creative Writers on Facebook, I put out a post that says we've often heard to write what we know, but what if you don't know anything? What do you do as a writer? You start researching and finding out, I guess. You start interviewing. I'm hoping to take a bit of that journey this summer. I'm going to go to, to Greece. That's where my family roots are from. Oh. And there, there are some great family stories that I'd love to unearth a little bit more. Much of that history is lost because of the Second World War and then a civil war, which burned everything down. Mm. Uh, so really curious about some unique stories that I'd like to pursue and perhaps turn into a grown-up novel at some point. I was just going to say, this sounds like it's leading to another book. (laughs) (laughs) That is my hope. Look, smarter than I look. (laughs) I actually have a t-shirt that says smarter than I look on the front, but on the back it says, but I'm dumber than you think. (laughs) Can I also say thank you? I love your Facebook group. When I started this journey, I had no idea where to begin. I felt like a, a minnow in a sea full of sharks. And it was your group that I found. And I remember my first tentative post where I started writing, uh, asking other authors, I have this budget. Um, should I self-publish? What do I do? And so many wonderful people wrote back and offered advice. So thank you for yeah, setting you know, this up. It's I, an amazing group. I love that group. And that group was born out of frustration from another writing group that I was in. That was, you know, too many people. And and anyway, there was no moderation or, or anything. And it was, uh, it wasn't about writing anymore. You're doing and, a brilliant job. Well, thank and you. And I love your prompts as well. Oh, do you? Even though I don't write in them because I'm too scared of what criticism might come back, I do mentally use them to exercise my brain. So it's Well, that's great. what they're intended for, whether it's there or at home. Yeah. Right? And uh, so one of the guys that uh, I interviewed for um, season one, Andrew Shaughnessy, he's got, he created a couple of uh, returning characters, if you will, to all the prompts. Uh, have you read that? Do you know That's who I'm brilliant. talking about? I love it. Yeah, and it's, uh, oh, what are their names? No, Walter and Muriel. And they just have, it, it's so much fun to read. And that he's actually trying to assemble all the stories that he's written from those uh, prompts and putting them into a book. Oh, wow. Well, see what you've inspired. Isn't that great? So there's an example of writing about what you don't know and turning <laughs> it into something wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> And, and he's had fun with it. And of course, he wants to, you know, get me in on the project. But I mean, it's his brilliant writing that's that deserves all the credit. But anyway, what do you consider the hardest part about your writing journey? Is it the writing itself? Or is it the, the publishing? Or maybe even the marketing? That is really easy. The story poured out in six weeks. The marketing has been this endless learning and journey process. Something I wish I had known beforehand. <laughs> As a self-published author, I don't have the big um, publishing firms and brands behind me. Mm-hmm. However, I've heard from other authors that have queried and gone through that process. Publishing firms don't even support you in that way anyway. Mm-hmm. Because my story was time-bound and specific to the pandemic, and the publishing world really needs to get into the 21st century, I do find myself uh, doing all of my own marketing. And I've had to join Instagram and haul my butt into the 21st century as well. 
on Facebook. On You'll really be in the 21st century once you master TikTok. I know. I've, I have no idea how other authors use this, but um, I have spoken to my son's friend. Like, we're talking tweens. Yeah. I'm actually going to pay a tween to help me um, create some reels and go on TikTok. I'm not even that old, but it's ridiculous. Well, I, I'm sure I've got a few years on you, and I'm not even going to try TikTok. <laughs> It's, it's ridiculous. Sorry, that just made me laugh. What is, what's going on around you when you sit down to write? Is there music or dogs or, uh, you know, um, a cat nearby? Um, you know, <laughs> Newton's cradle, cradling? I was going to ask you what the latter was. The, it's nothing too exciting. I do my writing when everyone is asleep and uh, the kid is tucked in and I'm sitting on my bed with my laptop heating up and burning through the quilt in my thighs and there's usually uh, a pets on the bed as well so. so a newton's cradle is one of those gizmos with uh, a, a bunch of balls on a string and clacking back and oh, forth okay yes That's yeah a newton's cradle i find i can't write with music or other distracting sounds in the background i i'm just very focused and just clickety clackety away and thankfully i can touch type which allows me to get thoughts on paper really quickly Oh, you're one of those lucky ones. I could never handwrite. Like, I would just lose it. <laughs> you know what? I used to have really good handwriting, and then I lost my vision. And I tried writing shortly after one of my 13 operations, and I couldn't even find the line to write on. Yeah. All over the page. And I'm sure if I put it hung up as art, it would have been great. But I'm neither an artist or anything like that. If I showed up, <laughs> I like this one. If I showed up outside of your residence in a time machine and I said, hey, Lisa, get in, or where, where or when would you like to go to? Oh, wow. What a great <laughs> question. So that's not one of the ones that I answered, I don't believe. So we're going to no. be on the spot. Okay. Surprise. <laughs> yeah, surprise. I'm probably too nervous to see uh, what the future holds. Given what's going on in the world right now. I'll pass on that. I do love history and how it shapes us as human beings. So I would definitely want to go back to the past, probably during periods of massive change, like Reformation or around the time of the fall of the Roman Empire to see what was happening for people, what were, where were the mindset shifting, what were some of the great ideas that were being shared that transformed or inspired Western civilization or, or the way things are today. So I would probably be very curious to poke my head around those periods. Now, when you say the Reformation, what about the Reformation would draw you back then? Just and if curious. it's too personal, just tell me to be oh, quiet. No, just, just curious to really interested in how um, political and religious ideas change. We're seeing a lot of rapid change right now in society, not just te technologically, but also in terms of ideas as well. And I, very interested about that because that is part of my profession. I acknowledge that the pace of change is ever emerging, relentless, and complex. And that's quite overwhelming. And yet, thousands of years ago, innovation probably occurred a lot more slowly, but people did go through huge upheavals, uh, usually when empires rose and fell. Uh, very curious to just compare what's same and different to the experience of those people then to ours today. I think the biggest difference would be the transfer of information mm. would be one of the yeah. biggest because information travels so fast today. 
Yeah. So the Gutenberg press, Hey, that would have mm-hmm. been a, a massive in that. And it's that it's around that time that you start having Martin Luther's pamphlets and you start seeing religious change happening. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I mean, would you have liked to have been there at the door when he's nailing his theses to his the theses, door? Yeah. That would have been a Holy crap moment. <laughs> no kidding. Right. All right. So here's a, here's another thing you weren't expecting. So do you have any afterthoughts or advice you'd like to share from what we've talked about so far and aim that if you will at maybe a a new writer starting their writing journey absolutely so I think you touched on it as well kill the imposter syndrome just try it just do it it's not going to be perfect on the first go you're going to make mistakes fail forward learn along the way and that's okay And I'm saying this as a perfectionist and a type A, (laughs) let it go, try it because it will take you forward and you'll learn something from it and it won't be a wasted effort. I think that would be so. No, because you'll have learned something, even if it fails spectacularly. So I haven't made a single cent in my first year of entrepreneurship as a journey. Okay. Um, And yet I have published a book. I have a, a blog up and I've done a TED talk. So have I failed financially? Yes, I've made a loss. But learning wise and uh, as a progression of my writing and platform, no. So it depends on what you value as success or failure. Either Precisely. way, I'm further ahead in the journey than I was one year ago. Precisely. Now, I... I... I, I've been saying this since I started writing and, and, and I still hold fast to this is I, I don't write for profit. I profit from writing. Beautiful. And, you know, everybody's got their own reason for wanting to write or be published or anything like that. And it's never been about money or fame. It's always been about there's something in me that needs to get out. And I realize that it has to, for it to get out there, it has to be published. And so I, I self-publish. But uh, if, it's, if it doesn't make me money, but somebody reads the book and they go, oh, I didn't see it like that, then it's accomplished its purpose and it's a success. Thank you for that. That is, yeah, that's wonderful. And I agree with that. I have had adults reach out to me and say, I wish this book was around when I was a child. Mm-hmm. Um, no one believed me when I talked about my mental health disorder or OCD, et cetera. Yeah. Or I hear from uh, from children or parents and therapists, like this is a great addition to our, our therapeutic library or what have you. So in that sense, you know, maybe I've only sold 250 books in the first eight months, but it's it's making a difference to individuals at a small pace or small scale at a time. A few years ago, and I'll give you a personal slice of my life here, but when I was married, my wife and I, she was pregnant and it was a tubal ligation and we lost the baby. But we almost lost her as well. And then I started thinking that, you know, watching people come to see her in the hospital. Oh, are you okay? I'm so sorry. And they'd walk right by me and not even pay any attention to me. And I'm not bitter about this. And please don't don't mistake that because I'm not. But people were just blowing by me, going to her. Are you okay? I'm so sorry for your loss. And I got started thinking, wait a sec. I lost something here too, right? I may not have been physically attached to that baby, but spiritually and mentally I was. And then I went, you know what? I'm going to write a book about this, the male perspective of losing an unborn child. And I was doing security in a shopping mall in Winnipeg. 
and there was um, a professional, what do you call it, psychologist maybe? Or was it a psychiatrist? One of those, anyway. And I mentioned this to her, and she says, you know what? You write that book, and I'm going to put it on my shelf because you're right. There's not enough, not enough material out there about that. I never exactly. wrote the book. I've started it about 20 times. But and I mentioned that in a group one time, and I had so many women saying, you better write that book. Yeah, of course. It's going to have an impact on everyone involved. So you better write that book. Oh, geez, you too. Um, That's a great idea. I think it is. I just, I'm afraid to write it, I think. Why is that? I do not know. And this is not my hour. It's yours. Uh, let's, let's go on to part two. And I'm going to ask you a few questions about uh, your children's writing, if that's all right with you. Of course. All right. So first question then is, how did you first come to realize you had a voice for children's books? Definitely through my son's experience um, with uh, obsessive compulsive disorder during the pandemic. This was a, a unique opportunity to get a message out to kids that one you are not your thoughts. You might be experiencing some very large emotions or scary thoughts. And these might make you feel frightened or guilty, but you are not those thoughts. And so I incorporated some of the experiences he had with what's called exposure and response therapy, where you actually are exposed to that piece that you're afraid of. And I weave them into a story in, in a way that's not clinical. So a child reading it, whether they have that condition or not, We'll be able to manage um, some of the bigger emotions. So I felt I had something important to share. You know, I've seen, uh, I, I love um, crime, crime dramas. And there are so many episodes that deal with that kind of therapy. And they always turn out bad. But I hope, you know, you know what I'm trying to say. There's a potential for that too. Fortunately, in our case, um, the wonderful people at BC Children's Hospital had him in a, a special research program and I'm forever indebted to them, which is why I donate most of my royalties to, from that book to the pediatric OCD research team at BC children's. Did so you hear that everybody? Yeah. Did you hear that everybody buy her book so she can <laughs> donate this money to, to that cause and that need. Yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> I'm not editing that out either. If it warms your heart, it does go to a good cause. So number two then is, uh, who were your test subjects or uh, as they are better known as beta readers? So I kept this project really quiet because I was a little bit embarrassed. It was the first time. And I shared the idea and the first iteration with my sister and she loved it. And it, that gave me the confidence to continue. And obviously my son has been part of the story, reading, um, helping me out, reading through chapters and providing some of the ideas. But really, I didn't have a formal beta reading group. Uh, I don't know if that's a bad thing, <laughs> but I'm getting a lot of positive response. So it's resonating with uh, young readers and with their parents and therapists. So what's the age group that you, you aim this at or is there? Yeah, it's, um, I guess you would call it officially a middle grade novella, but grade two to uh, to tweens okay. is very relatable. Excellent. I happen the, to know uh, a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. OCD, for those who don't know, is a neuropsychiatric disorder, according to the World Health Organization. And um, it's uh, um, OCD is a neuro, yeah, those guys. <laughs> Approximately, the stats are, um, are iffy on it, but anywhere between one in 40 to one in 100 people have it. 
But I often hear from people who've read the book, they'll actually be like, oh, I have this, I think I need a diagnosis. Or my sister, for example, was uh, recognized it in herself and is actually seeking a formal diagnosis as an adult. So it's often a, a little understood condition. And unfortunately, the media presents it in the films as um, excessive handwashing or contamination fears. And it can be any compulsion. Mm-hmm. So imagine, Randy, the thing you're most afraid of in the entire world occurring if you don't submit to that compulsion. So shifting mindsets is a constant occupation for my kid. And I think a lot of listeners or children who with anxiety might be able to relate to that, even if they don't have that diagnosis. Do you, do you find that it gets misdiagnosed quite a bit? It's very hard to find a specialist who can diagnose it properly. And again, thank goodness for BC Children's Hospital and that particular research team. I would never have been able to afford the $250 an hour therapy or the um, even get a proper diagnosis. It just happened to be serendipity that my sister actually recognized the symptoms. And I started frantically, like any mother, researching and found this research um, opportunity on the internet. And for, for that, I'm just eternally grateful. Fantastic. And I'm sure your son is as well. Yes. Yeah. He's really been able, he's doing super well, really able to manage it. You would never know just speaking to him or um, interacting with him that he has it. He's, he's really come a long way. That's awesome. That's awesome. Can you have a story without a lesson needing to be taught? I really reflected on that question because it was uh, so unique and interesting. Whether you intend to impart something or not, I believe you're leaving that behind with anyone you engage with Good answer. as a writer. Yeah. Or as a creative. And so even in ridiculous poetry, you know, like E. Cummings, you walk away with a feeling, <laughs> whether there's a lesson learned or something formalized. And this is why my vision of wanting to have a positive difference in every interaction is so important to me in my writing. I want people to walk away with an aha, or I've learned something, or I don't agree with you, but that was food for thought. Absolutely. No, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to go beyond that. That was good. Publishing, traditional versus uh, self-publishing. Most, if not all, children's books are uh, hardcover. And up until very recently, it was nearly impossible to self-publish a hardcover book uh, of any genre um, without using uh, a vanity press. Uh, Do you suppose it's still easier to publish a children's book through traditional publishers? I purposely chose not to go the querying route because I, I was time bound. I didn't want to, I didn't want the story to wait. I feel it needed to be told during the pandemic. My book is a soft cover because it is a novella. I didn't even think about the hardcover option from a business perspective. It would have cost quite a bit more and the price would have been raised for readers. Mm-hmm. Print-on-demand costs have really risen with the inflation. I do take issue with the term vanity press because I am a busy professional and I did use what they call hybrid model, Mm -hmm. a Canadian company, and I paid for services. So it's professionally edited. I hired an illustrator and they did the book cover design based on my vision. I just didn't have time while working in healthcare to like start doing ISBNs and all these things. Um, And so I found that process fabulous. Um, I chose what I, I cherry picked what I wanted. I didn't need a ton of editing. I believed in the work. So it, um, 
it evolved that way. I am like, here's my budget. This is, and this is what I pay for. The downside is I don't have a big marketing machine. The upside is I get to keep uh, most of my royalty, all of my royalties really. And um, I can hopefully put it forward as a query in the future to, to someone who might want to pick it up. Now, I don't know how your listeners feel about that, or if that means I'm not a real author. I am published professionally uh, on professional blogs as well. So check out makeoneshift.com and decide for yourself. Well, fair enough. Uh, My first book, Blind Ambitions, uh, because it took me going blind to be ambitious about publishing again, uh, was done through a quote-unquote vanity press. And that cost me an arm and a leg. And, uh, you know, being on disability, uh, I didn't really have an arm and a leg to spare. But after that, my, my following eight books were all self-published on Amazon. And it cost me, you know, just what it cost me if I chose to have somebody edit it or whatever. I, I did all my design covers and, and all myself. So I saved yeah. a, a bunch of money and, you know, people seem to like it. But there are ways around it. You just got to know. And now, now KDP does hardcover. Yeah. So Randy, here's a business idea for you. I would pay money for a course to walk me through how to do that because I would, that would open up for me the ability to just focus on pushing out as many um, products as I want, as many books as I want. The fees that they charge weren't that expensive because I cherry picked what I needed, which wasn't too bad, All right, but it is holding me back from writing more. And so I'm thinking, do I do a Kickstarter or what I learned from someone like Randy or others, and I'm willing to pay for that. So I know how to do it by myself. There's an idea for you. Well, like I said, I've done eight books on my own. I never even thought about that as an option, but you know what? I don't even need money. I would gladly teach anybody what I have, but you know, I'm just weird like that. That's awesome. (laughs) All right. I might be messaging you after this interview. (laughs) Oh, you know what? Go right ahead. I have no problem with that. What scares you the most about the children's book genre? Again, I talk back to that theme of of not having an impact, a positive impact. When working or dealing with children's issues, uh, I want to certainly adopt a policy of first do no harm. Uh, I want the work to be meaningful um, and represent children in that condition appropriately. So again, I feel like I can only write about what I know in that context. Mm -hmm. The other piece that worries me a little bit is attention span. So I tried for each chapter, um, I guess like Charles Dickens, that each becomes a little mini story in its own right. So folks can uh, then be interested in continuing on that journey mm-hmm. with social media, with other uh, factors. I, I think our our hippocampus or our cerebral cortex is just, um, just has no attention span anymore. I'm hearing your average TikTok, you have seven seconds to really bring someone in. So that's always been a challenge, just making sure the interest is sustained without losing the descriptive elements um, that are important in creating a story, that poetic element. And that's why TikTok is not something that is viable for me because I tend to be long-winded. That is fantastic. Uh, We're going to move on to uh, part three uh, for this case, uh, because normally we only have two, but we, we call this shameless plugging. So, (laughs) yeah, no, really. So I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but the the whole basis behind this podcast is to, and I I know maybe some people find this offensive or or whatever, but I I created this podcast so that I can interview people who I call lesser known Canadian authors and writers. 
because I find that the traditional publishing houses tend to shy away from the unknown. And I have read a lot of or listened to a lot of uh, good stories, novels from lesser known authors who don't get that opportunity. So I'm trying to give them an opportunity through this podcast. And that was the whole theory behind this podcast. What works do you currently have in publication? So this is where you get to plug your most recent, but touch on all of them. (laughs) Okay. So I am the author of Louis and the Dictator an uplifting children's novella inspired by my son's experience with a mental health disorder called OCD during the pandemic. The aim is for this book is for anxious and neurodiverse children, one, to see themselves as heroes of their own stories, and two, to understand that through shifts in mindsets, they can transform their circumstances. And as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I'm donating most of my royalties to the pediatric OCD team (laughs) at BC Children's Hospital. I also blog about the, have a unique niche. I blog about the application of change management methodology in one's personal life. So if you're an author that's feeling stuck or overwhelmed, or if you're just an ordinary person feeling overwhelmed by uncertainty, check out makeoneshift.com and join the conversation. Uh, I have blogs about everything from um, dealing with burnout to dealing with cognitive distortions, the voices in your head that tell you you have imposter syndrome, you're not good enough, if you don't do something perfectly on the first go, why even bother? Uh, I've also recently delivered a TED Talk, Three Questions to Change Your Life. You can find that on my website. Uh, there'll be a direct link. Or just go on YouTube or TEDx or TED.com and type in Lisa Bornellis or Three Questions to Change Your Life. I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, whether that resonated for you. Excellent. Do you presently have anything you're working on? And if so, how close is it to completion? I'm at the ideation stage of exploring some of my family's history as uh, refugees on the Greek-Turkish coast. There's some unique stories coming out of that time period. And so uh, curious about writing an adult novel. And I'll start some research on that this summer. Excellent. This may not be totally relevant, but... Is there one of your books or presentations or all the things that you do, which you are more particularly fond of and why? So in this case, your book, as opposed to your TED Talk or. <laughs> oh, no. I was so, so chuffed to have the opportunity to do a TEDx. And I found the experience so exhilarating because of the potential audience and reach. And I do weave in Louie and the Dictator into that and how um, some of the tools uh, that I speak to, something called the adaptive action cycle, can be applied both for adults and children. So I weave in things like complexity science, human organizational systems, and how they can support people in everyday issues of overwhelm or or stickiness. Uh, So extremely proud of that. But perhaps not at the expense of the book, because I'm hearing that the book has an, a positive impact on those who, who have similar conditions. So you're asking me an impossible question. I think both complement each other and both are referenced. <laughs> Where can people connect with you? Uh, things like, you know, email, websites, snail mail, blog, meta, formerly Facebook or whatever, Instagram, TikTok, yeah. Twitter, and the list can go on, but. You can follow me on Instagram at Make One Shift or L Bornellis on Twitter. 
you can also reach out to me through my blog, makeoneshift.com, and it will automatically um, allow you to email me, makeoneshift at gmail.com. So I look forward to, to hearing from you. That seems to be your general go-to is that, is it make one shift? No, what is it? Yeah, make um, all one word, M-A-K-E-O-N-E shift.com, not the number one, but spelled out. Excellent. And finally, do you have any advice or words of wisdom to share with would-be or emerging children's writers? Just go for it. I talked a little earlier in this uh, message about um, throw away the imposter syndrome and write from your heart and your experience. Uh, Many of your listeners might be parents and your stories are gold because they are a reflection of your experience and they need to be told. So I really invite you to, to do that. Lisa, this has been an informative and entertaining. Well, we've been going over an hour now. So um, yeah, this has been a lot of fun and uh, it's, it's been good getting to know you and your, your answers were very insightful. So thank you for that. And thank you for agreeing to come on the show. Thank you, Randy, for the opportunity and for all the work you're doing to connect writers and promote Canadian authors. I'm really appreciative of it. Bless you. You have been listening to Between the Lines. In future episodes, I will not only be speaking with Canadian authors and writers, I will also be speaking with those from the other side of the writing industry, editors, agents, and publishers, in the hopes of getting a better understanding of how it all works together. If you like what you heard, hit the subscribe button to be notified of new episodes and content. Send all your comments, suggestions, or any questions you'd like to have a guest answer to me at randy.btlpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to visit me at www.therandylacy.ca. While there, look for the Buy Me a Coffee button to help support the podcast. Thank you for your time and your ears. Tune in, be inspired, and write on. In business, you rarely hear the expression, for life. You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and and there's a a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken 180 Weight Loss. Allow me to explain. You know, a year ago, I started with Awaken 180 Weight Loss and had incredible success losing weight. But you can lose all the weight in the world and not keep it off. And what good is it? That's why I have support for life from Awaken 180. Yeah. I mean, I go back for check-ins and make sure everything's going smoothly. But if I ever had a problem, the counselors are there to get me back on track. Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800. Or go to awaken180weightloss.com.